my fellow Americans. I don't know, I thought uh, we'd start um, every Sunday with that fanfare before I came up. No, I'm just kidding. I told John in the booth to show us what our sound system could do. It can do quite a bit, yes? If we, um, if we had more time this morning, I'd love to pass around a microphone and get your reactions, your feelings, really, when you hear that Olympic fanfare. I would expect or suspect we'd hear answers like pride of country or patriotism or honor and respect and maybe words like majesty or power or strength or how about borrowing from the realm of sports words like fair competition or the dedication and perseverance of the athletes or to borrow a cliche the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat maybe some combination of all of those things and more came to your mind and maybe especially your heart as you listen to that rather uplifting music and saw two key symbols at least of American power and influence the stars and stripes in the office of the President of the United States. We've been looking at end time scripture the past few weeks, and I'm going to suggest to you this morning, for a number of reasons, that the Olympic fanfare and all of those feelings and emotions that it stirs are a very appropriate background to end time scriptures. And perhaps, especially the book of Revelation. You recall last week I suggested to you that a polar star of biblical interpretation, a focus of interpreting end times scripture, especially apocalyptic literature like the book of Revelation, which is full of image and symbol, that we need to keep a close eye on historical context in which it was written. In short, because apocalyptic literature, especially by its very nature, draws on historical context itself in the symbols and images it uses to convey its message. And this morning, this morning we will ask at least whether it's possible that John, the author of Revelation, intentionally describes certain end-time events using images and symbols common to the first century Olympics, of all things. In a minute, we'll reset that Olympic fanfare to an Olympics held in the first century. We'll pick a time when Emperor Caesar Domitian was on the throne, somewhere between 81 and 96 A.D., that's also the time when most scholars agree John wrote the book of Revelation. Now in doing so, before we do that, we need to keep in mind one thing this morning. Please don't lose sight of it. We're making a best historical guess at what a first century Olympics was like. See, we've lost the video footage from those Olympic Games. So we're reconstructing a first century Olympics as best we can, or at least as best I can, from what historical accounts we have. Please keep that in mind as we consider the possibility 
of John intentionally using those symbols when he writes the book of Revelation. With that disclaimer or caution in mind, what do we know of first century Olympics? Well, here's one thing that rests on solid history. From time to time, certain Roman emperors like Domitian, they would announce, declare, and decree that there would be an advent. They would declare an advent in order to have themselves proclaimed God. An advent is a proclamation of being a God. So emperors like Domitian, would re- they'd really give the citizens of Rome a chance to acknowledge and proclaim that the emperor was their Lord and God. Now, one type of advent would be connected to Olympic Games. An emperor, in other words, would use the Olympics as an occasion for an advent. An Olympic occasion, if you will, to declare himself God. And so this morning, I'm going to do my best to recreate for us the first century Olympics that by decree of Caesar Domitian would also serve to proclaim him God, would also serve as an advent for Domitian. So here's the best guess, at least, what, the type, what that type of Olympics, an advent Olympics, would look like in the first century when Revelation was probably written. So, John, let's go ahead and reset the Olympics to the first century and Emperor Domitian. by Emperor Domitian as his advent. And oh my goodness, what a grand affair we have in store for you. The festivities are just about to begin. We're packed into our arena and we're all waiting for the trumpets to blow, which is the signal that the emperor is coming. Oh, coming in order to proclaim himself God. And there's the trumpet sound. And sure enough, look, here comes Domitian and his entourage now. To open these Olympics is the presentation of the emperor. And so at the sound of the trumpets, tens of thousands in the arena all stand to welcome the coming king, all eager to proclaim, this man is our Lord and God. And it's easy, even from the arena's cheap seats, to pick out Domitian as he enters at the far end of the arena. He's the one and the only one who's allowed in Rome to wear that golden sash across his chest, the color and symbol of divine power glinting in the morning sunlight. And Emperor Domitian strides slowly, ceremoniously to stand at the center of the arena. And a hush falls over the crowd, anticipating the official proclamations of Emperor Domitian. 
which comes next. And a herald of the emperor steps forward, reading from a scroll, to shout to the crowd the official proclamations. Let's listen in to what Domitian says through the voice of his herald. Citizens of Rome, this is the word of your Lord and God, Emperor Domitian. I know your deeds, your hard work and perseverance, and for this I honor you. You successfully squashed the rebellion on the northern borders. Well done. And yet, I hold this against you. You are behind on your taxes. And if this doesn't change, you might expect my wrath and the consequences. He who has an ear, let him hear what our Lord God, Emperor Domitian, says. scroll is closed and the herald disappears again and the trumpets again announce it's time for the acclamation of the emperor. Domitian begins walking from the center of the arena to his throne in the royal box where he will take his seat surrounded by 24 members of his royal court in their seats. And as Domitian ascends to his throne, the crowd breaks out and shouts and even sings their acclamation and praise crying out things like, We give thanks to you, Domitian. Holy, holy, holy is our Lord God, Emperor Domitian, who was and who is and who is to come. You alone are worthy, Lord God, Emperor Domitian, to receive glory and honor and power forever and ever. So be it. Amen. And amidst the shouts and singing, declaring Domitian God, Domitian takes his seat on his throne, and then a courier approaches the royal box carrying a sealed scroll. And everyone knows that this scroll is the scroll that will officially declare the beginning of all that is to follow in these Olympic Games. And a herald stands again and announces in a loud voice to the people, Citizens of Rome, our Lord and God Domitian, alone is worthy to open this scroll. And the crowd cheers. Trumpets sound again. And Domitian takes the scroll. And he and he alone breaks the seal on the scroll. And so now the games can begin. And the first official event, event of these first century Olympics is always the same. Leading out, it's always a chariot race. Four chariots drawn by four special horses. And the horses are special, special because each have been dyed a very specific designated color. The four horses are red, white, black, and pale or tan. And the red, white, black, and pale horses get the Olympic events all started. And as with every Olympic event to follow, because this is an Advent Olympics to declare Domitian God, 
the horses and the charioteers and all the Olympians race and compete and strive and persevere and run for all they're worth. They do their very best because they are running to win in order to show everyone, particularly Lord God Domitian, to testify that Emperor Domitian is indeed their Lord and God. And after the chariot race come the parade of athletes who are competing in the games. And we see the Olympians in parade, in formation, from all over the world, every nation and tribe and language, marching around the arena floor and before Emperor Domitian. They are all dressed in white, and each athlete is waving a palm branch, a Roman symbol of allegiance and power like waving a flag. And so dressed in white and waving their palm branches as they pass directly before the royal box with Domitian sitting on his throne, each Olympian pauses to bow down before Domitian as a witness that our lives and efforts during these Olympic Games, we belong to you, divine Caesar. You are our God. And then... The remaining events of the Olympics unfold. And the participants in all the games, the athletes, these Olympians, they all run, jump, and throw with one primary purpose. They compete. They persevere. They run with all their might to declare that Domitian is their God. And last, when all the events are over, It's time for the awards ceremony. And Domitian himself awards the athletes who have prevailed. He gives to all the athletes who deserve it for a job well done in testifying that Domitian is indeed God. And they receive a wreath crown. And the first century Advent Olympics comes to an end. Now, Would that best guess of what went on during a first century Advent Olympic Games in mind? Let's listen again to a few verses that John writes in the book of Revelation describing end times. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. And among the seven lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash across his chest. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. But I hold this against you. You have forgotten, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. 
to the churches. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Day and night, the four living creatures never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The 24 elders lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. The 24 elders sang a new song to the Lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and your blood purchased men from God, for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. I looked and there before me was a black horse. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, Be faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. I don't know. Do you suppose it's possible that John is drawing from the powerful symbols of a first century Advent Olympics? meant to declare someone else God. You suppose John is borrowing or stealing those symbols of power to help his readers understand what end times events will be like and who it is that God really is? We can't say for sure, but there are many similarities. Whatever we might conclude, for the sake of argument, let's assume John is using Advent Olympic paint to help us appreciate the nature of end times events. Then what? Well, maybe his first century readers heard a message something like this. No matter what it seems like, no matter what he, Domitian, or anyone claims, Domitian isn't God Jesus is. And for us today, no matter what it seems like, no matter what difficult or often brutal circumstances in life you face, no matter what world power or principality or leader or government or whatever seems to be God, they are not God. Jesus is. And carrying this possible link between Revelation and an Advent Olympics one step further, if Jesus in that picture, since Jesus is indeed God, then who are His Olympians? We are! So run! 
run to testify to God, to Jesus, to the world, that Jesus is indeed Lord and God. Run! Run for all your worth! Run with perseverance! Run with obedience! Run with love! And run with confidence! Run to your God! Run to show the world He is God! Run! Run with hope. Run with purpose. Don't be distracted. Run to win. Run despite your own failure. Run especially when you want to give up. Run when you can't take another step. And when you get there to when you can't take another step, look to a God who loves you and who is all-powerful and beg Him for the strength to keep on running. And He'll give it to you. He promises, run. Don't treat life as some sort of vacation. Time here is too short. Man, I struggle with that sometimes. Do you? I so badly want to go through life giving it everything I've got. I so badly want to accept and be content with nothing less. When I die and get to the finish line of my life, I want to fall exhausted into my Savior's arms with nothing left. So run! Several years ago, I was in Turkey sitting in the ruins of a first century arena. I'll never forget it, ever. Our teacher that day, Ray Vanderlaan, took us through a lesson similar to what I've shared with you this morning. And as he challenged us, urged us to run, we all just sat there, moved deeply. Most of us. But we just sat there thinking about the lesson. All except one of us. Her name is Amanda. She's just a girl. Suddenly, this girl stands up and takes off running. She bolts off through these overgrown weeds and thorns and prickers and piles of broken stone and uneven ground. She takes off along the edge of the arena. Boom! Off she goes. And we all sit there. We watch her take off. And we also see here about every 10 feet trip and fall like you've never seen anybody take a spill in your entire life. She would fall hard. Boom! Down she goes. And every fall she took was so hard, it looked like she might not get up again. There's something I haven't told you about Amanda yet. She has Down syndrome. And as many of you know, I'm sure, kids with Downs have a very tough time, in particular, keeping their balance and with fine motor control. They can even trip over cracks in the sidewalk. But their hearts, 
Let me tell you something. Amanda will change a whole lot less than I will at the resurrection. She is so much more like Jesus already. And Amanda ran and fell every few yards. Down she went. And every time she fell, she climbed back to her feet with fresh cuts from thorns and stones each time, on her hands especially, and face and legs. She'd get back up, she'd get her bearings, and off she'd go again. And I, I will never forget the sight. I still see the blood running down the backs of her legs. And I still see the joy on her face. <laughs> because, by God, she was going to run that lap around that arena because Jesus is her God. And with Amanda leading the way, the rest of us finally got off our butts and ran around that arena. And I'll never forget it, nor do I ever want to forget it, because I so badly want what that Downs girl has. How I want that heart and perseverance and guts and action against all odds in my faith and witness. And whenever I feel like having a little pity party because things are tough in my life, I see Amanda falling and getting up again and running some more over and over and over again until she was finished running around that whole arena. It took forever. And whenever I see her running in my mind's eye, I ask myself, what in the world is my excuse? Will we run like Amanda? Will you? Run! Rats. See, I thought at least one of you might bolt on out of here. (laughs) There was a downs. I'll bet they would have. It's okay. Missed your chance to leave church a little early. (laughs) Will we run? Ah, obedience is too hard. Faithfulness takes too much. Emphasis on those kind of things, that's Old Testament. After all, we're saved by grace, so don't sweat pressing yourself to be more like Jesus. Who, by the way, ran his life out for us. 1 P.S. I'll let you go. Running for God is a theme found everywhere in the Bible. That fact gives me even more confidence in suggesting John might be playing on that theme too in Revelation. Where encouragement to persevere, you recall from last week, is the primary purpose of apocalyptic literature. Now one of my favorite run passages, you've heard it, I know many of you, is in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded... By such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
And did you catch it? As we run, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And the $64 million question is, who are the such great cloud of witnesses? This passage in Hebrews is often taught to mean that the cloud of witnesses watching us run is the world or those who have not yet accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so our running then is a witness to the unsaved of who Jesus is. Nice lesson, but unfortunately, in my opinion, misses what the author of Hebrews is trying to say. The great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12 have just been listed in Hebrews 11. The chapter begins with therefore. When you see that, look what comes before the therefore to see what it's thereforeing. And so do you know who is sitting in the stands of the arena of your life, rooting you on, rooting for you to run with perseverance? Abel and Enoch and Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon and Samson, and the prophets, including a guy named Elijah. One of the greatest runners of all time. He ran so fast he beat Ahab's chariot. Let me tell you, we've got a whole lot of world-class runners for God rooting for us, cheering for us while we take our turn in life at running for God. And do you know who else is in those stands rooting you on? Those faithful runners in your life who have passed away. Grandparents. Husbands and wives, moms and dads, brothers and sisters and friends, and even your children who have gone before you. They're sitting in your stands, rooting you on. Come on! You could do it, Lord helping you, and He will. So run for God. Run hard, son. Get up, mom. You can do it. Run! And you parents and teachers and others who work with kids especially, Tell your kids, won't you? Tell your kids that when the day comes for you to die, that you will take your seat in the Hebrews 12 arena of their lives. And you will root hard for them to keep running. I hope to get a seat next to Elijah. And together with Elijah, I'm going to root for those who are still running. Maybe we'll even do the wave. I don't know. Tell your kids especially when it gets tough especially when they fall down or get distracted. Tell them if they listen carefully during those times in life after you're gone, listen carefully and they might hear from heaven the roar of the crowd cheering them on. Then, Danny and Peter, should I go first and I pray that I will? Should your mom and I go first and we pray that we will? The day will come when we take our seat in your heavenly cheering section And we'll be shouting at the top of our lungs, Come on, Ben! Atta girl, Danny! Hang in there, Pete! Run! Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your encouraging words to hang in there and to keep on persevering because the One who loves us just because for no reason at all 
is the one who holds all of the power. Let that encourage us, Father. Let us see your love and the sacrifice given to you to us through the death of your Son and His blood on the cross. And let that encourage us to persevere when it gets tough. Help us, Father, to compete well against those things that come against us in this often tough life. Help us to persevere and not to be distracted. Help us, Father, to run to You as a witness and a testimony that You are indeed our Lord and our God, that the world may know that You are God and that there is salvation in Jesus' name and Jesus' name alone. And all God's people said, Amen.